Today is the first day of March in 2024, and we welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer and a retiree for Chapter 49. We thank you for joining us today. And as always, our Chapter President, Duncan Giles, is with us. So, Duncan, welcome uh, once again. Always uh, glad to have you here with us. As always, good to be here, Larry. Thank you. If you're watching on video, you can see we have a very special guest here. Doreen Greenwald, the current national president of NTEU, has been on this podcast before as the executive vice president of the union. She was elected the national president due to Tony Reardon's retirement, was elected to that job this past August. And we very much appreciate uh, Doreen Greenwald, your acceptance of an invitation to be in our podcast. Welcome. It's so good to have you with us. Well, thank you both, Larry and Duncan. Um, first of all, I love getting invited because, as I've shared with you both, I am a huge fan of the podcast. I, I listen to it or watch it regularly each week, and you cover some really great information, and you're doing a great job. So it's really my honor to be here. Of course, I know you listen for Duncan's jokes for the most part, right? Yeah. I can't say that, although I wish I could. <laughs> I'm always, yeah, she's never always... heard this I think she's heard enough of those over the years. <laughs> if you have to say it's a joke, it's not a joke. That's all I'll say. <laughs> that is true. Any comedian will tell you that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let uh, Duncan, speaking of Duncan, uh, start the questions. Yeah, Doreen, as you know, it's uh, Congress once again has stepped up bravely and decided to kick that can down the road again. Uh, some of our agencies that we represent now will have until... March the 8th, and others, including the IRS, will have until March 22nd, um, while Congress diligently works on passing appropriations bills that I'm sure will not be controversial at all. Um, with all that said tongue-in-cheek, what, what is your sense right now of where we're going to be going for uh, funding for our agencies that we represent, and in particular the IRS? So, Duncan, you know, once again, Congress has failed to do their job. I mean, we're talking about fiscal year 2024 funding. They should be working on fiscal year 2025 funding. So, I mean, NTU's perspective is they need to fund the government for the rest of the fiscal year and get their acts together to fund it for fiscal year 2025. Um, every time they kick the can down the road, what they miss is that the federal government has to plan and prepare for a potential shutdown, whether it happens or not. And it costs millions of dollars that they can't get back. And so while I'm thrilled that we were able to get to a point where the Congress has passed this and we expect the president to sign it today before we get near this, this shutdown that was supposed to happen at midnight tonight, um, it still leaves us, you know, we're kicking it down only a couple days. We're talking March 8th, May 8th and the 22nd. Um, we need to see funding in place for our agencies. We need full funding. Um, some people on the Hill were toying around with um, triggering the provision that was in the debt ceiling deal, that if there wasn't a deal in place by the end of April, that they could do a 1% one, 1 across the board cut of our agencies. And what that is, is a cut to the American people. You're not saving money. What you're doing is you're, you're killing services for um, all of the Americans that require 
services from each of the agencies that the federal government delivers. And it really makes it hard for agencies to plan efficiently when they don't know what their budgets are going to be. So, you know, we're a big proponent of making sure the government doesn't shut down and that funding is appropriate so agencies can plan and use tax dollars efficiently. Have you have you guys in the office gotten any pool yet together on what you if you think they'll actually be appropriations? I'm I'm scared to death that they're just going to be kicking this can down the road and again triggering like you said that April 30th date where there's the 1% reduction because of a small group in the House of Representatives that wants that. Do you think we'll actually be able to get appropriations passed that are reasonable, especially for the IRS? I mean, everything we're hearing is that behind the scenes, there are bills that are being worked. Um, we're going to keep working with our allies on the Hill to make sure they're properly funding all agencies because we know how critical that funding is. You know, from somebody who worked as an employee at the IRS and was a chapter president for many years at the IRS, we know the IRS was starved for decades and what that did to the agency. And only because the IRA funding that was put forward has now the IRS been able to fill critical jobs, start really working on some of the technology pieces. And we're seeing for the first time in a long time what we would call a normal filing season. You know, my fear is that too many times federal employees become pawns in this game. And it, it needs to stop and they need to properly fund the government so it can work efficiently for taxpayers of America. And so that's where we're at. I'm hoping cooler heads prevail. It's an election year. It doesn't serve either party to have a shutdown. And so I'm, you know, our purpose at NTU is to make sure we're pushing to reveal, you know, what federal employees need to make sure that happens and to push for full funding. So whether it's an, you know, a, a, a big package that comes together or actual appropriations. We just want to make sure it gets done through the end of the year. You know, Doreen, I, I find that uh, it's interesting that so many years we come down to a budget and end up with something called an omnibus bill. I don't know if that'll happen this time. That's where you throw everything into one gigantic bill that nobody has time to read. And the reason I bring this up is, is uh, during the Obama administration, when he had a contentious Congress of the other party, I had a chance to uh, talk to Lee Hamilton, somebody I covered years ago, but he came to speak uh, locally. And he made the point that here we have a president of a different party of, of, uh, of what's in the Congress. So the Congress can't get their budget act together, and the Congress ends up with this omnibus bill. And he says, when you do an omnibus bill in the Congress, you are ceding most of the power to the president. So I, I, I just wonder if I get a comment or two from you about the lack of, of the ability of the Congress, at least certain people, because the Senate seemed to use their regular process. The House seems to be in dysfunction at the moment. Why people cannot get their act together to get a budget together, because only then can you even negotiate a final budget. I find this rather strange as a guy who studied political science for years, and I'm really curious to get your take on it. Well, I, you know, I don't think that's an ideal way to run a government, obviously, you know, it's Congress's job to pass appropriations, and they should do so in a logical and methodical way. And so as I started out by saying, they should right now be working on fiscal year 2025. But that's not what's happening in Congress. Congress is barely functioning, especially in the House. We see nothing but chaos, and we see a handful of people. The margins are close for both parties. So a handful of people who 
prefer chaos over solutions. And so the two parties, in essence, because those margins are so close, are going to have to come together to push something through. And so, you know, from my perspective, I care first and foremost that federal employees are able to do their jobs and they get paid on time to do those jobs. To me, that's the bare minimum the government owes them as federal employees. And so I don't really care what that format looks like as long as that happens. But we're also going to do what we can to make it clear to Congress and educate them about how the federal government should work, the important work done by federal employees, because I don't think they all get it. I don't think they really understand how that money relates to serving the American public and helping them to get, you know, connect those dots so they can get their job done. And that's where my focus is. Duncan, any more uh, questions on the budget before we move on? Yeah, there's one more that's come up a couple of times and I've allayed the fears, but I think it, it bears talking about for just a moment. People are going, okay, if Congress decides to pass these different bills, is there any chance of them uh, taking away or reducing the pay raise that we got at the start of the year because that was basically unfunded, so to speak? And what I've told them is I do not foresee that happening. Uh, I can't see Congress doing that at all. Some of them may think about it, but I just I don't see that as a possibility. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm with you, Duncan. Um, there's a process in place. You know, obviously the president sets his budget and Congress has the, the ability to change those things. Um, but I believe that window has come and gone and the, the, the pay raise for this year is in place and has been enacted. And so um, what we would now be talking about is the pay raise for FY25 and looking at that. Let me move on to something else because we've had uh, a member of your staff, Kata Saibenga, on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, and I know you rely a lot on her as to, to know what's happening on Capitol Hill, um, basically minute to minute at a time like this. But you, you've recently had a legislative conference. I love going to them. I'm just getting too old for it now. It's a wonderful experience, but it's a lot of work at the same time. Do you think having those NTEU members crawling around the office buildings of Capitol Hill have maybe any impact on moving toward a solution on this? Well, I'll tell you, we just closed our legislative conference at um, right around 1230 yesterday afternoon. We had nearly 400 people on Capitol Hill proudly displaying their NTU gear and out there educating members of Congress. And I will tell you, the energy was strong in the room. People weren't crawling. They were standing proud to be NTU members and really out there educating both sides of the aisle about what they do as federal employees and what their asks are. And I, people came back with very positive feedback about their interactions with Congress. And so we were pleased to hear from the beginning of the week, we were talking shutdown. By the end of the week, we had guests and, and allies that we have on the Hill coming and re, re, uh, reporting out saying that basically they thought a deal was close and that they were going to be able to avert a shutdown for now. So so that was very positive. Um, I think it's critical that our members engage and, and are educated about the political processes and the legislative process. As federal employees, we are apolitical in our jobs. It doesn't matter who's in the White House or in Congress. We take an oath to the Constitution to do our jobs for the American people, and we are proud of the work we do for the American people. 
That said, we are also citizens of this country with the right to vote and the right to be active under the Hatch Act. And so federal employees should educate themselves about what the issues are out there and also engage in the political process by voting. Because I'm surprised at how many federal employees are not registered to vote and don't even vote. And so NTU.org has a lot of information on it. And I would encourage your viewers that on their personal time to take the time to educate yourself about the issues, because everything that Congress does impacts federal employees. Duncan, uh, any thoughts on the legislative conference? Yeah, uh, as Dorian said, I think it's a great tool to get the word out to not just the Congress people, but the staffers who are actually, you know, making a lot of the suggestions to the Congress people, making the laws and things of that nature to try and, you know, ed ed educate them. And it's it can be tough sledding in a lot of offices, but. You know, I am very proud that Doreen has continued the tradition of the Ledge Conference and, you know, bringing these issues to the forefront because, you know, nobody's going to talk more about our needs than others. And I would also like to echo uh, what Doreen said about voting. I can't understand anybody who doesn't want to vote. Um, this is a huge right that we've been given. Uh, I've voted in every election that I can since uh, since I first became eligible to vote in 1980. Um, so it's it's just one of those things. So, you know, and and I just want to give my appreciation to Doreen because this is a lot of work for her and her staff as well to try and get this all set up. So I, I just want to thank you and the staff at NTU for doing this, Doreen. I think it's, it's very important. Thanks, Duncan. And I will tell you, I mean, I am so proud of the events we put on. I mean, it took every member of our staff, every department we have to gather this, and it brought all of our leaders together. As I said, I was very proud to have a showing of 400 people that took time out of their week to go around. And it matters because Congress listens to their constituents. And too often they think that federal employees all work in D.C. Well, I got news for them. About eight, over 80 percent of them work across the country every Congressional district has federal employees and too often they don't know they have them and they don't know their issues because federal employees put their nose to the grindstone and do the work that they're supposed to do. And they don't ask for the things that are important to them about what makes them efficient federal employees and what they need, what they need to bring people into the federal government. Because as you know, people are starting to retire and it's getting harder to recruit people into the, the federal service. And you want the best and the brightest to continue that tradition. And so it was really impactful to have people, and we can all do that. You don't have to come to D.C. to do it. You can visit your local congressman, make an appointment, and have a conversation. Because too often, congressional people vote on federal employee issues that they don't know about. And it's all up to us to educate them on those federal employee issues. And even if they can't go to the office, they can go to NTU.org. And it is so easy to write a letter that you can personalize, or even if you don't want to personalize it to your congressperson or your senators and let them know what you're thinking and, you know, to protect federal employee issues. So, you know, again, that's something I thought that was great that's been NTU's done for several years. Literally seconds. You put your name in, you put your zip code in, it knows who's your congressman, who's your senator, drafts you a letter, you're, you're welcome to change it, 
but it, it takes it. If you just go with that letter and send it seconds, literally seconds. You know, Doreen, one last comment, if I may, on the legislative conference. I think uh, some have been a little hesitant. If sometimes you visit a congressional or Senate office with an office holder who may not always be friendly to federal employee issues. And I can remember uh, in Indiana at that time, we had a lot of unfriendly, you know, members of Congress. You have to just understand the territory you're getting into. And I would help some of these people who were a little hesitant to go in. I say, you know, you just have to make your case and they will listen. And I'll say the congressional staff that I've always dealt with always appreciated the fact that somebody from their district took the time and effort to come to D.C. and to speak with them. Uh, I found that interesting. And even every now and then I would speak with a senator, a member of Congress. And uh, I remember having a long discussion with Larry Bouchon, a, a Republican congressman from southwest Indiana, now we kind of went, we kind of understood where each of us came from and didn't always agree on everything, but we had a very civil and, and, and friendly conversation in a lot of ways, didn't always agree on everything. But I think it's important not to shy away from these discussions just because you have a member of Congress that has historically not been supportive. It's amazing how sometimes you can get them on your side on an important issue. Anything you want to add to that little comment? You no, know, I agree with you. Um, I think often... There's misunderstandings out there, and we have to bust through those myths because, you know, for NTU, we support anybody who supports federal employees. It doesn't matter what the letter is behind their name, Republican, Democrat, Independent. We want to educate people on employee issues, federal government issues, like agencies that, you know, if they don't have the right funding or things that they need to make sure that they get the funding so they can deliver on those missions. And so... Often, I mean, I remember going and visiting congressmen who I thought were not for me. And when I could explain to them why I was there, what was really happening, they were like, they started taking notes and they started to do some things. So as I said, it's important that before they cast votes, they at least have a good understanding of the issue. And it's on us to educate them. Let the next line of questioning go to Duncan. Yeah, Doreen, one of the topics that's come up that's uh, been resurfaced, so to speak, has been Schedule F. And for those that aren't familiar with it, this was something that in the latter days of the last administrative uh, last administration, they came up with to, you know, basically have more political appointees in federal agencies. Now it looks like we've seen that it wasn't just a few federal employee, uh, federal appointees, it would be a ton of federal employees. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about why there's an issue with that? So in the last administration, the president put forward an executive order to create what he called at that time Schedule F. I say F to remind it, it was really to make it easier to fire federal employees. And it had nothing to do with conduct or performance, because as any federal employee knows, there's rules of conduct and there's discipline, including up to removal. And performance means that they can, you know, take action to address poor performers or and remove them. So what Schedule F did was create a new set of um, a schedule where these employees, and we're not talking political appointees, because every president can come into office and they have a set number of political appointees that help motivate their agenda. What we're talking about is taking civil servants 
People who are hired to do specific jobs in the federal government, regardless of politics, to do that work. And they're hired for their education and skill and knowledge about the work that they've been brought on to do. And this schedule would then move them over and take them out of the current civil service where they have appeal protections and rights so that they cannot just be removed at will. Schedule F would mean they could fire employees at will if they disagreed or had beliefs that were contrary to the person in office. And so that gets dangerous because can you imagine if you have scientists who, whoever's in power, and I don't care what political party it is, if they believed the sky was purple and the sky wasn't purple, that they could remove everybody who said the sky isn't purple. And what we found recently is NTU has been at the forefront of this, trying to ensure that if the next administration or any administration thereafter wanted to create a Schedule F, to make it easier to fire federal employees, that those employees at least had protection so they could fight back. And so we pursued with um, OPM regulations and asked them to put in place regulations. And OPM has those out right now for review. And so what we did also in support of that is we did a freedom of information request to gather what kind of policies were in place under the old executive order and what that might look like if a Schedule F came to be. And we were able to get data from the Office of Management and Budget. And what we found is people in IT positions, admin positions, grade 9, 10, 11, 12, could be switched up under a Schedule F or something like it and be allowed to be fired at will. Do you know how damaging that would be to our federal agencies? People wouldn't want to apply for these jobs if you could just be removed. If you're hired as a scientist, you're hired as an auditor, and you're told you can't do specific things because it doesn't agree, that's what the civil service was all about, was to remove politics so that people could do their work. And so, in essence, what they claimed they brought this in place was to remove politics from the federal government They're actually infusing politics in that government by putting civil service um, positions at two at-will employees. And so that should be concerning for everyone. And we're at the forefront of NTU trying to warn against that. I think that's a great way to look at it. F equals fired because Schedule F is the shorthand that those of us in the inside game use. So Schedule F really means fewer employees in the federal government with the civil service protections so they're not willy-nilly fired. Would that be a good way to look at it? Absolutely. Well, F me, for fewer, F for fired. <laughs> yeah, okay. They both go together. I want to ask you about telework. You know, I was involved with the rollout of what was called Flexi Place in the mid-90s. I was a, a union official with Chapter 49 at that time. I traveled the state explaining what the new Flexi Place agreement was. And at that time, we didn't have the technology but people were working at home. In particular, our field people were able to use this, but others were able to. Interesting, the, the people who seemed to be most anxious to use it at that time were the managers, but that's another matter. Uh, I, I think uh, now that the technology has improved, we have telework, a very um, healthy telework program that all agencies uh, have represented by NTEU, but I think IRS was at the forefront really one of the first agencies to to roll it out. So we've had a lot of experience as an agency, at least we did when I was there, 
on uh, dealing with post-flexi place and then telework, the working at home. And, and there's been some discussion, particularly from the White House and the Treasury, about the future of telework. If you can, take a moment or two and explain where telework is right now and where you think it's headed. Okay. So I'm with you, Larry. I was with IRS back in the early 90s. Telework has been around in our contracts since then. I remember when I was the president of Chapter 1, um, we negotiated an agreement, and our agreement goes back to 93. So it's it's been a while. That said, roll back, or not roll back, come forward to today, and we learned about all of the successes of telework through this great pandemic that we just went through. Technology has improved, equipment has improved, and we saw a lot of successes with telework. And our contracts in our federal agencies that we represent, NTU represents over 35 federal agencies, our language is concrete in those um, agreements about telework and making it available for employees. So recently there was some guidance that was put out, and really this started last um, spring, where there was guidance put out by OMB, and there's been some additional guidance that has come out from the Chief of Staff's Office from the administration, talking about making sure that federal agencies have the right balance of telework uh, in their workplaces. And so for NTU-represented agencies where we have contracts in place, that has no effect on our contracts. Employees who are on their contracts, their telework is going to be based on the contract we have. Um, the, in, the commissioner of the IRS uh, has looked at the guidance that was issued by OMB and has put out guidance that by May 5th, he is instructing his non-bargaining unit employees in the DMV area, so the um, the capital region, as they call it, um, that they will have to uh, reduce their telework by 50%. Um, so they need to come into the office and do that. That does not affect IRS employees covered by NTU agreements. And so bargaining unit employees do not have to worry. Their telework has not been taken away based on those instructions. Now, my advice to everybody who is listening Politically, there are people on the Hill who do not understand that telework means you're working. Telework is no different than the work you do in the office versus you do at home. You sit in front of the same computer, you perform the same activities, you are monitored in the same way, and you deliver. OPM has recently released evidence of production results that telework has not reduced production. That is where our focus should be. People want all these reports on telework. I will tell you, using IRS as an example, NTU fought for years to get telework for CSRs. And for year after year, that was denied until the pandemic hit. And funding became available to get equipment out to employees. And we were seeing levels of service between anywhere from 10 to 14% level of service for people on the phones. Once we were able to roll out telework and get the equipment and get people trained, during the pandemic, levels of service went up to 85% and more. So do not tell me that telework does not work because we have evidence that shows it does work. And the agencies themselves will tell you if they can offer telework, the number of recruits they get for those jobs is up 25%. So telework is necessary to gain recruits and to retain employees and build morale. So, you know, production is up, telework is up, 
and recruiting and retaining is up. So I'm a big fan and I'm going to always push for it. Well, I find it interesting. And Duncan and I have talked about this extensively because I worked years in toll free as Duncan did. And uh, I found it interesting that for years, IRS said we cannot do toll free. We cannot do the phone service with people working. It cannot be done. Impossible to be done. All of a sudden, there's a pandemic and people cannot come into the office. Guess what? It can be done, right, Duncan? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that when uh, we bargained this and Doreen was sitting right there at the table with us, that they freely admitted that. They wouldn't admit it for 20-plus years, but by golly, all of a sudden, they could do it. Uh, Doreen, one of the things that you know we need to, I think, we need to reinforce to our employees is like you exactly said, for our agencies that have contracts with telework, nothing changes until those are going to be renegotiated, and we're not hearing a groundswell from agencies wanting to go back to the table on this. Now, what I've told people and I've, I've had calls from executives on down on this, is could this expand to non-bargaining unit employees across the country if they need to hit that 50%? I said, that's a possibility. But for bargaining unit employees, until that contract changes, there should not be any change whatsoever. And I just and have one Let point. me say, I'm sorry, Larry, but I just want to emphasize, I think the productivity and where the portable work is should drive telework. And I mean that for non-bargaining unit as well. For my position, to put out an arbitrary number or percentage makes no sense. It should be based on the work. And so, you know, I understand that the commissioner needs to make decisions based on guidance he's been given. But as a whole, I support telework as a program. And I think it needs to be looked at from a productivity standpoint and where the work can be done efficiently and not based on reports or numbers or arbitrary percentages it needs to be the and, and quite frankly we should be celebrating the successes of telework and not wasting our time on these foolish conversations <laughs> one, one last question on telework because i think this is a question I, i've been getting from people what about the situation with the management they've already started rolling this up with certain non-bargaining uh, people uh, at irs for example do you anticipate or have you in any agency have management or has management uh, made proposals that would cut back or pare down telework? Uh, my understanding is that there have been none. I'm just curious what your experience has been with you and your staff negotiating. Has management ever come up with proposals to cut back or eliminate uh, telework for the marketing units? Well, I mean, that's part of negotiating a contract. So if we have a contract that is open, you know, sometimes the parties don't agree on what the right formula is for, for telework. You know, managers may say, we think it can only be two days a week. We may say it's four days a week or two days uh, a pay period versus four days a pay period. You know, there's a misconception that everybody on telework never comes into the office, and that's just not true. There's a variety of schedules out there. Most people come in at least two days a pay period. And so, and some even more than that, depending on the work that they do and how often they have to come into the office. Um, but, the, you know, there are processes in place. When the parties can't come to agreement, we will go forward and, and take on those fights. And, you know, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, but it's based on 
you know, the actual data we have and the work that's being done. And so that's where I believe the focus needs to be done. And we've been very successful in fighting for expansions in telework. Excellent. Well, Duncan, we're running out of time. Uh, any last uh, question or comment for Doreen? Uh, I do have one comment that uh, uh, my awesome wife, Kim, told me before uh, when she found out Doreen was going to be on the podcast. She says, you guys, you guys, so she included you, Larry, you guys better be good and treat Doreen with respect because she is an awesome leader. She is wonderful. She knows what she's doing. She's passionate about the employees. So you'd better treat her right. And I was like, I don't think Larry and I were talking about treating her wrong. And I share your emphasis with that. But that's just from uh, what Kim has seen from afar and what she observed when we were in convention in Detroit, Doreen. So I thought I'd share that with you. Well, tell her my thanks. You guys have always treated me with nothing but respect. And I, let me give her a shout out. She's part of the NTU family. And ever since you brought her into our midst, we are better for it. So give her my best regards because, you know, as a federal employee and a leader of this union, it takes our families to support all of us. And so we are better for the great families that support us and are there for us. And so, you know, shout out to all the families of federal employees because they take, they listen to us, they support us and they get, get us through difficult times. So we are all stronger as when we act as a family. Well, and Doreen, I want to thank you uh, again for making yourself and your staff available to us for this podcast. Uh, we've been honored twice with national awards. We very much appreciate that. I never expected that. As I said before, Duncan and I weren't sure we could get to the first episode, much less uh, do this almost four years. So we thank you very much uh, for that. And, and we, uh, we wish you the best and, and hope that uh, we can have you and, and also senior members of your staff uh, back on the podcast. We love having you. Thanks inviting me. It's been my honor and keep the invites coming. We're happy and keep doing the great jobs you're doing. It's a pleasure. Well, the, the high, high praise. And we thank you for that. Duncan, any final comment before we close it? Nope. I don't think we can top that. <laughs> okay. This is the chapter 49 podcast. You just heard Duncan Giles, chapter president for chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. Our guest, Dorian Greenwald, the national president of the national treasury employees union. Thank you very much for watching and listening and please be safe and be kind. <laughs>